Great to be with all of you this morning. You know, woke up a little bit cold. I mean, it was literally freezing. I think freezing temperatures, what, 31, 32 degrees, anything below that is freezing. And after a day like we had on Thursday, 70 plus degrees. Um, but hey, we're, we're in Ohio, and so we, um, we kind of expect that. But uh, spring's right around the corner, and pretty soon we'll be wearing our Easter Sunday best and bringing our friends and bringing our family and bringing uh, our neighbors to come out. But um, this morning, we are going to uh, continue and wrap up a very short series that we started just a couple of weeks ago. We've been talking about the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15. And a couple of weeks ago, when we started off uh, talking about that story, uh, we shared a message called, Why Come Home? Why Come Home? And we looked at that story, and we found that, that humanity, that all of us are born into a state of brokenness, that when you and I are born, we're born broken. We're born with a bent, not towards God, but against Him. We're also born hungry. We're born hungry for love and hungry for affection and hungry for peace. And we also found out during that message that God, our Father, is good. And so why come home? Because God is good. Last week, my wife got up here and she shared a dynamic message. So proud of her. Can you give it up for my wife? We love you, honey. She shared out of that same chapter, Luke chapter 15, and she talked about how love spends how the father in that story, because he was a father who loved his children, he spent on them. He gave everything to them. And so the first Sunday, we talked about why come home. Last week, we talked about how love spends. Today, I want to answer the question, how to come home? How do we come home? So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, we're going to begin there in just a very short moment. Luke chapter 15. Luke is the uh, third book in the New Testament. It's the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke 15, we're going to begin there and put a bookmark in Mark chapter 7. So if you turn to Luke, you'll run into Mark. Mark comes before Luke. Put a bookmark, or if you've got a Bible like mine, I've got this ribbon. Put that ribbon in Mark 7. If you're using a smart device, click on Luke 15, and towards the end of the message, we'll get to Mark chapter 7. We're going um, to share a number of scriptures with you. There's going to be quite a few more scriptures um, that we'll share with you this morning that I'll reference to. All of them are going to be on the screens behind me. Um, instead of you trying to find them in your paper Bible, here's all we're asking you to do is just go ahead and jot down those scripture references. And then throughout the week this week, you can just read them um, at home throughout the week, and, and that'll be just fine. And so um, Luke 15, we're going to begin there in just a quick moment. But I, I want to preface today's message, and um, I promise I won't keep you long, but I want to uh, preface today's message by, you know, we've been talking about the, the, the lost son or the prodigal son's story in Luke 15. Luke 15 is a response that Jesus gave whenever he was asked the question, why do you hang around bad people? And so Jesus responded and shared uh, some stories about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. A lost son. So we also know the story as the prodigal son. Here's what I want you to understand. The son in the story was a son. He was part of the family. 
He was a child of the Father. Why is that important? Is because we often read that story, and as followers of Jesus, we have a hard time connecting because we don't see ourselves in the story because we think that the son was lost. But listen, not only was he lost, but he was a son. And it is possible for you and I, even as followers of Jesus Christ, for us to wander, for us to uh, slide backwards, or even for us to be lost as sons or daughters of God. And so the story speaks more to us than it does to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Have you ever, you know, let me put it this way. Have you ever been somewhere but you weren't really there? Have you ever been in a conversation, but you weren't in the conversation? Yeah, I saw wives elbowing some husbands. Um, Have you ever seen someone in a marriage, but they weren't in the marriage, married and living single? In other words, it's possible for you to be somewhere physically but not be there in your heart. It's possible to be somewhere, but not be somewhere. And so I kind of want to speak to that here this morning. I want to look at the story of the prodigal son and share just a few things with you. And so let's begin in Luke 15, beginning with verse 11. We'll read down through verse 19. Luke 15, 11. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, his inheritance. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17 is a key verse. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. The question I want to answer today is, how did the prodigal son finally come home? We've talked about why he did it, but how did he do it? What was the process? What were the steps that he went through to actually come home. And three things I want to share with you this morning. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one is we've seen that the prodigal son, first, he came clean in his heart. And if you're going to come home, you've got to come clean in your heart. Verse 17 says... That when he came to himself, in other words, let me say it another way, when he got honest with himself. And as followers of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to create a culture within our, 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 our Christian world, a culture of healing instead of hiding. 
And we've got to be honest with ourselves and we've got to come clean in our own hearts. Come clean in our hearts. And some people have noted, I've heard people say this, some people have noted that he repented on his own and he didn't get caught. And so somehow it counts a little bit more. Why is that important? Because some people might say, well, there's a difference between getting caught and confessing. You ever hear, hear that? And they'll say, in true repentance is when you confess and not get caught. Well, let me help you out here this morning. Everybody gets caught. The prodigal son got caught by his circumstances. Sin catches everybody. And you don't have to sit here and feel like because you've not been caught, like you've not been caught. Sin catches up with everybody. Everyone gets caught. Sin will always catch you. And the point is, do you have a change of heart when you get caught? Is there a heart change that transpires? Because God is not interested in just you modifying your behavior. He's not interested in changing the outside world that you live in. He's interested in transforming and changing your heart on the inside. And so the heart, I want to read some scriptures and share with you what the Bible says about the heart. Now, we, we did a whole series in the month of February about the heart, and we, we, we shared a lot about the heart, but I want to share a little bit more with you for us to have deeper understanding. But do you know that the Bible doesn't say many flattering things about our hearts? In fact, the, the, the Bible talks about our heart in so many different ways, and let me just show you some of them. Jeremiah 17, 9, talking about man's heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's our heart. Genesis 8, 21, God says, The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil, even from his youth when they're a little kid. They've got little evil hearts. Matthew 15, 19 says this, For out of the heart, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Everything that's wrong in the world proceeded, was birthed in, was born in the heart of man. This is not good news at all. So if that's the heart, if this is the picture of the heart of every man, of every woman, of every boy, of every girl, so then what's the answer? Simple. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart. The answer to the brokenness in the world, the darkness in the world, the brokenness and the evil and the deceit of the human heart is for God and God alone to make a promise and do a work in all of our lives that he would take our old heart and he will give us a new heart. And it goes on to say, and put a new spirit within you. 
I will take that heart of stone, that hard, selfish, closed, and evil heart, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft, pliable, selfless, and open heart. We are all born with a bad heart, a sinful heart. And what we need is what I just read, an experience with God called salvation through his son Jesus Christ where he comes and he does the miracle of transforming your heart and transforming our heart. The answer to a dark world, the answer to the atrocities and all of the craziness happening in the world around us is from humanity to get back and allowing God to transform their heart. Let me talk a little bit more about the heart for just a moment. The best way that I can describe the heart is that it is the seat of desire. The heart is the seat of desire. The heart is a part of your soul. Teaching moment. All of us sitting here today, everyone watching online, every person, we're made up of three parts. There are three parts to us. Juan Rivera standing before you this morning, there are three parts to me. There's the part that you see, which is called the body. It is of earth, it is earthly, it is temporary, it will, it will decay over time, right? It's getting older, it's not as pliable, as flexible as every, anything else that, that it used to be, and eventually this body will cease to, to be. It will, it will die, it will be buried, and then that's it. But there's another part to Juan, there's another part to you, in fact, there's two more, Juan also has a soul. You also have a soul. What's your soul? It's your mind, it's your will, and it's your emotions. It's your soul, your heart. And you also have a spirit. I also have a spirit. Now, the body is temporary. The body is of the earth and will go back to the earth. But your soul and your spirit is eternal. Your soul and spirit will live forever. Where would it live? It depends on the choice that you make while you're alive, while your body is alive on this planet. If you choose to love God, to be a child of God, to accept the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross for you, if you receive that, his finished work, and you become his child, you become what the Bible calls born again, and he becomes, Jesus becomes, your Savior and your Lord your spirit and soul will spend eternity with him. If you choose not to follow Jesus, if you choose to not have a right relationship with God through his son Jesus, then you choose for your spirit and soul, which are eternal, to live in a place that was never created for you, a place called hell that was created for the devil and his demons. But our soul and spirit are eternal, and our soul is made up of our mind, emotion, and will. It's, our, it's the desires. It's, the heart is the seat of desires. Now listen, before I came to Christ, the desires of my heart were wicked. The desires of my heart were not for God, but they were against God. The desires of my heart were to lie when I can do it and get away with it, and even when I couldn't. It was to cheat. It was to steal. It was to be lustful. That, those were the desires of my heart, to get ahead at whatever expense, to put me first in every area of life. 
But when I became born again, Jesus put a new heart in me. And so all of a sudden, that new heart had new desires. That desire in that new heart was to love God, was to serve God, was to go after God, was to be selfless instead of selfish. But listen, I still have to grow. I still have to grow. I still have to guard my heart. Why? Because even as a believer, like the prodigal son, your heart can go astray, your heart can leave, your heart can walk away. You can be a son, you can be a daughter, but do you know that as a son or daughter, as a follower of Jesus, your heart can be deceived, your heart can be darkened, your heart can be led astray? Don't take my word for it. The Bible says in Romans 1.21, because although they knew God, they knew God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but what? Became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul, speaking to the church, says this in Hebrews 3.8, Do not harden your hearts. Keep your hearts soft and pliable. James 1.26, James says this to the church. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, you know what he just did? He just qualified all of you in this room. Because by the mere fact that you attended church this morning, you are a religious person. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is, ouch, useless. Now, why is this important? I could sum it up with one verse. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so is he. If you don't guard your heart, your heart will lead you astray even as a believer, even as a son, even as a daughter. And so if you're a prodigal in any area of your life, step number one is come clean in your heart. In other words, be honest with yourself. Number two, come clean with the father. The prodigal son came clean in his heart, and then he came clean with the father. How do we do that? We come clean with God the father. Theological question, you won't have to answer it out loud, but can believers sin? The answer is yes. Believers can and often do sin. What do we do when we sin? What do we do when we find ourselves as a son and as a daughter, but we're lost? We've squandered what God has given us. We've backslidden. We've grown wayward in our heart. Remember, I'm not talking about not being here physically. I'm talking about we may be here physically, but our hearts have wandered. And one of the best things that you and I can do is not only come clean in our heart, but come clean with the Father. I think that because of our sin, we get to a place where we just stop going to the Father. We stop going to the Father. And I think one of the reasons we stop going to Him is because we feel like that one day His grace is just going to run out. I've been there where I've gone, gone to God for the same issue, the same sin time and time again, and I've said to him, I will never do it again. Please forgive me. 
one more time. And yet I wake up the next day and all of a sudden there I am again. And most of us feel like when we go to God for the same thing over and over and over again, that God at some point is going to step back, call a time out, and say, all right, I've had enough, I'm done, everybody out of the pool, it's over. This is the 7,553rd time that you've asked forgiveness for this same area, and I am done. My grace has run out. I've got news for you this morning. God's grace will never run out. Come clean with the Father. Why? Because it could have been your seventh time or your 7,000th time. If you come to the Father and ask for forgiveness, every time he'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you, he'll bring you back. Why? Because his grace will never run out. Did you hear me? His grace will never run out. You don't know how bad the sin was, Pastor. You don't know how many times I've asked for forgiveness. I get it. But where sin abounds, guess what? His grace is greater. His grace is more. His grace is enough. So come clean with the Father. This illustration is not the best illustration, but it's the best I got. We come to the Father like, you know, so broken because we've handing him the keys because we've wrecked the car. Or we hide it as if he doesn't know that we've wrecked the car. Not understanding that our father owns every car and every car lot in the world. And he's not concerned about the car. Listen to me. He's concerned about the son or the daughter that has wrecked again. And he's wanting to know how you are. And he wants you to give him the keys to your life so that he can be in the driver's seat. So that he can call the shots. So that he can take you to your destiny, your purpose, your future. Come clean with the Father. Go ahead and take a praise break because I know you want to for just a moment. Notice, notice the response of the Father in Luke 15. Notice it. The Father of the lost son didn't, didn't say to the son, where have you been? He, he didn't say, what'd you do with my money? You know what he said? He said, my son was lost, but now he's found. My son was dead, but now is alive. Let's throw him a party. And that's what God will do with you if you simply would come clean with the Father. 1 John 1.8 says it like this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we come clean with the Father, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're going to come home, you're going to have to get honest with yourself and you're going to get, have to get honest with God. We stop going to God because we think that this whole forgiveness thing has a lot more to do with us. It doesn't. 
We know we're broke. God knows we're broke. But it has everything to do with the faithfulness and generosity of a loving God whose grace and love will never run out. There's more than enough grace and more than enough God's love to take you back and to set you up again for good things. Go ahead and give him praise for just one more moment. We're going to wrap things up here very soon. So number one, come clean in your heart. Number two, come clean with the Father. And number three, it's last point. Come clean from the pigs. And this is the moment of our time together where I need you to lean in. Just lean in for just a moment because I want you to get this. In Luke 15, the, the story says that this son, after he had spent all that he had, it says that he found himself connected to a citizen of that country. In other words, he became an indentured servant. And here's what rattles my brain, is that he was a son, he was still a son, and yet was in bondage was incarcerated, was a slave. And the Bible says that as an indentured servant, this person forced him, made him to work feeding the pigs. Now, I don't know what you think about a pig pen, but you do realize that pig pens are very, very, very dirty, filthy, smelly, nasty. It wasn't a clean job. And he smelled like his job, he looked like his job, and things got so bad that the Bible says he looked at the slop that he was feeding the pigs, and they, they looked appetizing to him. It's how, it's how down he was. And so, my question to you is when he came clean in his heart, and he decided to come clean with the Father... Do, do you think that after leaving the pig pen and on the way home, and now he's home and he's having this conversation with the father, do, do you think that he would have gotten a little bit dirty working at the pig pen? He smelled. He was dirty. The Bible says that he came home dirty, and the father said, let's throw this young man a party. What do you think he had to do before he went to the party? Take a bath. You know, you know who we don't find in the story? We never see the name or her represented, but you know who we don't see in the story? The mom. Now, use your imagination. I do. When I read stuff like that, my thought is I, I know what the mom was doing. She was drawing the bath. She was getting the bath ready. But here he is. He's dirty. He's, he's home. He came clean in his heart. Follow me. He came clean in his heart. He came clean with the father, and the father looked at him and said, Son, we're going to throw a party for you. Got a robe. We got new shoes. We've got a new ring. But I want you to do something first. Go take a bath. Because you smell. You smell like what you just left. You still have stuff on you. You're home. You're home. You're a son. 
but there's stuff on you. There, there are marks on you. You still have stuff caked in your hair. You've got the signs of it on your face. It's in your fingernails. It's all over you. In fact, the clothes that you came in with, just burn them. You smell. You're dirty. We love you. But before the party, please, son, take a bath. I thought about growing up, I had, uh, there was a family that lived down the street. They had two boys. They were good friends of mine. The oldest son, the oldest son was my age. His brother was just a little bit younger by a couple of years, and they couldn't be more different. They couldn't be any more different. The older, the older son, my buddy, who's my friend about my age, they both were my friends, but the one about my age, he was a clean freak. He was a neat freak. Anybody know anyone like that? He was, he, I didn't know it then. If I, if I knew the word, I would have said he was neurotic, but he was just a clean freak. We would be outside playing, and you'd see him run away and disappear for about five or ten minutes. And when he came back out, what were you doing? I was washing my hands. Go inside, washing his hands to come back out and play. His mom never had to tell him to go take a shower. His mom never had to tell him to go take a bath. He was, always, he was always clean. He didn't like to be dirty. He'd come to the dinner table in the family, and he'd sit down clean as a whistle. His brother, completely different story. He attracted dirt. I mean, he lived in dirt. The younger brother, I mean, always muddy, always mud on his shoes, always mud on his clothes, always mud caked in his hair. He'd come home. He didn't wash his hands. He would sit down, plop himself at the table, and didn't think that he looked different than anyone else at the table. Here's the point. He was dirty, but still a son. He was a son, but dirty. See, these boys were sons, but he had dirt all over him. Now, physically, we know that the lost son was dirty, but let me ask you this question. Spiritually, do you think that spiritually he needed a bath? Do you think that he was affected by the sin that he was involved in? The excessive drinking, the immoral lifestyle. Do you think that not only he needed a bath physically, but he also needed a bath spiritually? That he had picked up some stuff that although he was home and although he was a son, he needed a bath spiritually. And my question to you, my question to us, is when do we give ourselves an opportunity as sons and daughters already in the home to be honest with ourselves and say, yes, we've come clean in our heart, yes, we've come clean for our, to our Father, but we've not created an atmosphere in our culture where we help people become free, come clean spiritually and come clean from the pigs. What do the pigs represent? In another story, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee to come to a town called Gadarenes. In this town of Gadarenes, there was a man that the community labeled as a lunatic, absolutely crazy. He was a lunatic. He would cut himself. He would beat people up. In fact, they, they said he had to be incarcerated, and he was. They'd put chains on his hands and feet only for him to break them. He had that much strength. They, they thought he was crazy. Jesus and his disciples appear on the shore of Gadarenes, and this man approaches them. 
bows down before Jesus and says, Jesus, what do you have to do with us? This man wasn't a lunatic. He had what the Bible calls demons. He needed a bath spiritually. When Jesus asked him what his name was, the man didn't respond with his own normal voice. A demon responded and said, we are legion because we are many. And in a moment of time, Jesus rebuked the demons and they went into a herd of of pigs. And the prodigal son came clean in his heart, came clean with the father, but he had to come clean from the pigs. You say, well, pastor, well, we're believers, we're followers of Jesus. Demons can't affect us. I'm sorry to tell you and to burst your bubble, but you're absolutely wrong. You're wrong. Because we could be a son or a daughter caked with the dirt of our past and having demonic activity all around us and affecting us and torturing us. And because no one was bold enough and believed God for more to look at people, at believers, and say, you can be set free. You can find freedom in Jesus as a son or daughter. You don't have to be bound anymore. You don't have to be haunted anymore. You don't have to live under a curse anymore. You can come free and come clean from the pigs because that's what God wants for you. I am convinced that the greatest thing that can happen in this region is for sons and daughters, for believers that are in bondage to be set free. Because the problem isn't with a dark world. The problem is with an ineffective church. There's sons and daughters that are home, but they're not clean. They're still in bondage. We are the answer to the darkness of our society, of our culture, of our world. And when we get set free, we will see them set free. I need to share with you very quickly. I know we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. Just give me about three minutes, Pastor Ben. Five open doors to the demonic activity in your life. I know this is a Sunday morning and we don't want to talk about stuff like this, but I need to share this with you. There are five open doors to the demonic in a believer's life. First one is this, emotional hurts and wounds. None of us can do anything about the emotional hurts and wounds that we've experienced in the past, but God can. And a lot of the demonic activity in our lives, the bondage and the chains and the thing that keeps us from moving forward is emotional hurts and wounds. Number two, deep-rooted lies. Lies like you'll never be good enough. You'll never make it. You're just like your father. You're just like your uncle. Deep-rooted lies. God is not for you. He's against you. God's angry at you. Those are deep-rooted lies. Number three, generational curses and iniquities. Divorce in the family, addiction in the family, and all of a sudden you said you would never be like them, you would never be like her, and there you are again, you're just, you're, you're at it. Generational curses and iniquities. My dad was a full-blown alcoholic. Puerto Rican Bacardi rum was his drink of choice. What was my future? To be an alcoholic. Puerto Rican Bacardi rum being my drink of choice. But guess what? Jesus stepped in and broke that general curse and dealt with those demons and set my daddy free so that his son wouldn't have to live in bondage. But I can do what God has called me to do. 
Notice I said my dad was an alcoholic because culture today tells you to say to yourself that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. But Jesus has one better. The Bible says he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Number four, bitterness and unforgiveness. Believers that deal with bitterness and unforgiveness, set yourself free and forgive. Let go of the offense. Matthew 18, Jesus says that your bitterness and unforgiveness, it only attracts tormentors, tormenting spirits. And number five, habitual sin. These are five open doors to demonic activity in your life. And there is such a thing as believers in bondage. Why am I bringing it up? I'm bringing it up because Jesus Christ wants to set you free. You might be religious. You might have a denomination behind your name. You may have been a Christian for many, many, many years. But Jesus Christ is good enough to let me stop by here this morning and look you square in the eye and say, son, daughter, there's a party that's getting ready to happen. But before you step on the dance floor, you need to take a bath. And Jesus Christ can wash you, make you clean of stuff from the past, set you free and break all the chains in your life. Listen to me. Freedom deliverance is for sons and daughters. It's for the children. Mark chapter 7. Remember? I didn't forget. I had you turn there. Put a bookmark there. Mark 7 is extremely important. But before we read Mark 7 together, I've got to show you two other places in Scripture very quickly so that you can understand Mark chapter 7. Because how many know that the Bible has language? There are types and shadows and symbolic language in this book. And if you do not understand the symbolic language of the Bible, you will have a hard time understanding the Bible. So on the screen behind me, there's a Scripture, Revelations chapter 22. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right of the tree of life and may enter to the great gates into the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Two groups of people. And outside are sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. But what was the first thing he mentioned? Look at the verse. What was the first thing before sorcerers? Dogs. I just taught you that the Bible now shows us that dogs don't make it to heaven. So little fluffy, little scruffy, whatever you call him or her, they're not going to get into heaven. Do you think that's what the Bible is really talking about? He's not talking about literal dogs. It's symbolic language. Meaning dogs, meaning unredeemed people. People that have rejected Christ. In fact, Philippians 3.2, it says, beware of, why would Paul write that? Is it because he got attacked by one on the way to synagogue one day? You, you know, this is where the sign on your front door comes from, right? It comes from the Bible. Beware of dogs. Some of you are going to leave here today, that's all you're going to remember. What did Pastor preach on? I know where the Beware of Dogs sign comes from. It was written thousands of years ago. It's in the Bible. 
Was Paul talking about literal dogs? No. Beware of dogs, evil workers. Beware of mutilation. He's saying beware of those who are unredeemed. Dogs mean unredeemed. I needed to share those verses with you so that when we look at Mark 7, verse 24, you'll understand. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Last verse we're reading. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. We can't hide Jesus in this house. We can't hide Jesus in the church. Verse 25, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now watch Jesus' response to this poor woman. But Jesus said to her, let the children, say children, be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What was the woman asking for? She was asking for freedom of demons for her daughter. She was asking for deliverance. What did Jesus say? Deliverance is the children's bread, not for dogs. Now, if I were to leave here and go out into the foyer and a woman I had just met comes up to me and asks me a question and my response to her is, I'm sorry, but I don't talk to dogs. Would you think that that'd be rude? Yeah, it would be tremendously rude. I'd never do that. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus rude? No. What was he saying? He's saying deliverance isn't for the unredeemed. Deliverance, freedom, is not for non-believers. Why? Because first of all, you've got to come to the one who can not only save you, but set you free. And secondly, because Jesus loves people, he doesn't want to see them set free from one thing so that they can just attract seven other greater things in their life. He loves people. He doesn't want to hurt people because he loves people. And so deliverance, freedom from spiritual bondage is for the children. Why? Because we've come to Jesus already, and he's the only one that can set us free. The prodigal son is a son, and what he needs when he comes home is a bath. Why? Because he picked up some things from the world that would affect him. And you've picked up some things from the world and from your past that affects you, that's hanging on to you, that haunts you, that keeps you in bondage. But I've got good news today. If you come clean in your heart, if you come clean with the Father, and if you come clean from the pigs, there's enough power in the presence of God to set you free, to deliver you, because that's just my God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We're closing. We're wrapping things up. No one looking around, please. And you're not doing me a favor, you're doing yourself a favor. Because the reason I'm asking you to bow your head and close your eyes is not to coerce you or manipulate you in any way. I simply want to give you privacy. It's just you and God right now. And right there in the quietness of your, of, of your seat right there. I need you to search your soul. 
And if you cannot find proof that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all of your sins and has made you clean, friend, that's something that must be immediately fixed. This is not a decision that you postpone until tomorrow. This is something that you deal with today. I'm not asking you, are you religious? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with Jesus where he has come into your life and has eradicated all of your sin, past, present, and future? And if the answer is no, then we've got to deal with that this morning. But how, Pastor? In just a moment, if that's you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. But I can't unless you do me this one important favor. And it's not a favor to me, it's a favor to you. In just a moment, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm tired, I'm tired of the, the, the I, I, I don't want to go to hell when I die. I don't want to spend eternity in a hell that wasn't created for me. And I'm tired of living in the hell that I'm in right now. I want out and then I want in. I want into the family of God and into the kingdom of God. If that's you, I'll pray for you. But you've got to do yourself this one favor, and that's this. On the count of three, wherever you are, when I count to three, I need you to shoot your hand up. I need you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. If that's you here today, and I'll pray for you. This is a decision you don't postpone. This is something you don't put off for tomorrow. This is a gift that you never turn down. You are going to get ready to receive the gift of eternal life and relationship with Jesus and freedom and the cleansing of your heart, a new heart and a new spirit. If that's you, one, don't be backward, don't be ashamed. Two, forget about everyone else around you. This is you and God. Three, slip them up now, quickly, 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 quickly. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you in the back. You're not alone. I see you over here, I see you. I see you, sir. I see you, ma'am. Come on, you're not alone. Quickly, I see you all over here on the side. I see you in the back. I see you. God sees you. Now, if you know you should have slipped your hand up a moment ago and you didn't do it, ask yourself why. Why am I going to let this most important gift pass me by one more time? If you know you should have slipped your hand up a moment ago and you didn't do it, do it now in Jesus' name. Now, quickly, 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 quickly. God bless you. I see it. Yep, I see it. Another hand went up. Another hand went up. I see you. I see you. God sees you. Go ahead and slip your hands down. Not everyone look at me. Open your eyes and look at me. I'm going to give you very clear instructions. Many of you slipped your hand up a moment ago. And I promised you I will pray for you, and I will. Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to have all of us stand to our feet because we're going to get ready to dismiss. But listen to me. When we all stand together, unless it's an emergency, when we stand, if you can remain as still as possible until we close, that would help me and all the people that slipped your hand up. Those of you that slipped your hand up a moment ago, you're not alone. Oftentimes we feel like we're the only one and we also feel like everyone's looking at us. You know who's looking at you and staring at you? God. And he knows you meant business with him. And so when we all stand together, those of you that slipped your hand up, I'm going to pray for you, but here's what I'm going to need you to do. 
when we all stand, you're going to need to just excuse yourself and come out of your seat and meet me right here. And don't be backward about it. Just do it quickly. Let's do it now. Come on, everyone stand to your feet. Those of you that want to accept Jesus, just come quickly. You know who you are. Just come, ma'am. Come, sir, in the back. All of you over here on the side, come. Come on, just come down. Come home. Come home. Come home to the Father. Come. Come on, right, right up here. It's right up here. Come home. Come home. Over here on the side. Just come. Come. Come on, let's welcome these people home. They're not coming to me. They're not coming to our church. They're coming to the Father. With tears in their eyes, they're coming. Just come. Come. Just come. I wish you could see the faces of many of these people. They're tears, salty tears. You know why? Because they're not saying yes to religion. They're not saying yes to a church. They're coming home. They're coming home. And in just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer together. All of you up front, I want you to look at me. We're going to pray a prayer together. And in just a moment, God is going to do a miracle. Listen, he's going to put a new heart inside of you. And he's going to give you a new new spirit in here. This prayer is not a magic formula. They're simply words that you're going to say out loud. But you need two things. Besides the words that you're going to say, you need to add two things to those words. The first thing you already have. It's called faith. The Bible says that faith is a gift that God gives to people. And you know how I know you have it? You would not have stepped out in front of all of these hundreds of people to say yes to Jesus if you did not have faith that he can do the miracle of saving your soul. The second thing is sincerity. Own this prayer. So right now we're going to have that prayer and have that conversation with God. Close your eyes and say this out loud. And church, if you can help me, help them. Say, Father God, I'm coming home. Forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me and make me clean. I want to live for you. I believe that Jesus, your son, died for me so that I can have a relationship with you. And Jesus also rose from the dead so that I can have eternal life. So, Father, I want to be born again. Give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. I want to live again. 
I want to come home. Receive me just as I am. I know I'm dirty, but I just heard that you can wash me and make me clean. Do that, Father. I want to be clean, and I want to live for you as a son and daughter forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Now here's what we're going to do. We're wrapping things up. We're going to be dismissing everyone in just, in just a minute. But here's what we want to do. It's not over. It's just the beginning. If you don't have a home church, we want to say welcome home. If you do have a home church, this is not your regular church. You have a home church. We encourage you to go back to that church or try to talk to that pastor and let them know of your decision that you made today. And if it's a church where you can grow in your relationship with God, where you can be taught God's word, we want you to get connected there and support that pastor and be a part of that church family. But if you don't have that, then we welcome you to be a part of our church family. Here's what we're gonna do. I don't want you to leave this area, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just take about three steps backwards from the stage and then stay here for just a moment. All of our leaders that help us pray, all of our leaders that help us pray, can you come and can you fill in this altar area? All we're asking, these are people that help us pray. They're gonna come and we're gonna pray for anybody that needs prayer for any reason. Now, those of you that are up here, listen. When we dismiss, they, these prayer leaders, these leaders, they have a packet of information that they want to place in your hand. So don't leave. Let them pray with you and just place that packet into your hand. But listen, we want to open this up for prayer for any person that's in here and you need prayer for any reason. We want to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. Listen, you don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So if you need prayer for any reason today, we want to pray for you. So at the end of this blessing, we're going to dismiss you to just get out of your seat and join all the folks that are already up here. Just come down and receive prayer. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your a relationship. Or maybe there's an area of your life where you need freedom. And you're a son or a daughter, but you want to be set free. We'll pray for you. So you just come out of your seat and receive prayer at the end of this blessing. Keep your eyes open as we bless you. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, we bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. May you be men and women that know the joy of freedom. Sons and daughters that have not only come clean in your heart and have come clean from the Father, but you've come clean from the past, from the world that you were a part of. Men and women set free, walking in freedom, declaring the goodness of the Father in a dark world. Leave here, not inspired, but transformed by the goodness of your God. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you this morning. Just come. Come to 
the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was 